open up to Colossians chapter 3. How many of you guys secretly wish James was here preaching today? Just a little bit, just a little bit. Trick question, (laughs) Tim. (laughs) You're like, I don't know. I wish he was here. No, I'm just kidding. Guys, Paul is coming to the end of his letter. It's a small letter. It's four chapters. We're like week 24. In chapter one, chapter two, and even the beginning of chapter three are super heavy theological truths. Building this understanding of who Jesus is and who we are in him. Big time stuff. Big time stuff. He says, if you then are a new man, being renewed in the knowledge of God, he gives us instruction that you're a new person and you also have this obligation to be renewed, that is to keep growing. In chapter three, verse one, he says, if you then are saved, big question, I can't, I don't know if you're saved. You guys probably think I'm saved. I don't know if you're saved. I know I'm saved. Do you know you're saved? If you're saved, seek those things that are above. Okay, this is, this is vertical, this is vertical. Now, though, here's what blesses my heart, and I want you to capture Paul's, Paul's heart. Is at the end of his letter, he says, okay, as much as we've been focusing vertical, this is big stuff, theology 404, this is master level stuff. Hey, guess what? It's all gonna come out real practical in the end. When the rubber meets the road, it's gonna be real practical. How many guys, you don't need to raise your hand, but how many guys are just practical people? Like you're a normal man, normal woman, just living in Lincoln County. Like, oh, I'm just kind of here. Like, I want good theology. I want vertical prowess. I want to know what's going on, but I'm just normal. I think it was Abraham Lincoln said, God must love the common man because he made so many of them. I don't think that's an insult. I think it's an observation. I think it's an observation. I think when Abraham Lincoln saw that, he's like, there's a lot of normal people out there. There's a lot of normal people. And if you're a Christian, you're able to say, yeah, there's a lot of normal people in the body of Christ. There are some that get more attention. We'll call them prominent because that's what the Bible says, more, more, more noticeable features of the body. There's the mouth and the hands, and there's some things that happen, but the body parts, are there's a bunch of them, right? And what I believe Paul is lobbying for here is to undo a certain understanding that has unintentionally crept up in the church, which is the holy man myth. And the holy man myth is that there are holy men that lead the church. And guys like me stand up on stage and we do stuff and I pastor's part of my title and man, that's cool and, and they do that, but the rest of us, we're just normal. I'll use a different term, the unintentional term that we've come to believe, which is sacred and secular. That is, there are certain things that are very sacred in church and Sunday school and missions and worship teams and volunteering. Then there's just the secular it's just my normal job, my normal neighbors, my normal hobbies, my normal stuff. And God in heaven looks down and says, what? There's no sacred and secular. There's no holy man and unholy man. We are all priests and kings of the most high God. Every single person in here matters in the life that God's called you to live right now. And the biggest thing you can do, the biggest disservice you can do for yourself is say, man, as soon as I read the book of Leviticus, I'm gonna finally be a spiritual giant and do something. As soon as Katrina gets back my application for the Sunday school and I start to teach Sunday school, whoo, I'm going to be somebody. Man, as soon as Pastor Luke messaged me back on Messenger, I'm going to be somebody, whatever your deal is. The reality is, no, no. God has called every man here and every woman here to be the body of Christ, to be the salt and the light in a world that is in darkness and hopelessness. And he's called us to live lives that reflect the hope and the light that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. I'll say it even more selfishly and weirdly. I can't do it all myself. I just can't do it. Paul can't do it all himself. Paul never even been to Colossae, so he's writing them a letter. Says, guys, get fired up. Get in the game. 
Y'all are the body of Christ and the light. And so now it gets real practical. We're going to call it horizontal, not vertical. Vertical is important, but now it's horizontal. And he addresses, finally, he's been addressing parents and he's been addressing husbands and wives. And now he's going to address employers and employees, the workplace, one of the most unholy secular environments we consider ourselves to be in, isn't it? God, that's just work. It's a four-letter word, man. It's just work. And God says, oh, no, no. I put you there. You're part of that team. You're the only Christian there. And you're like, I know, I hate it. And the Lord says, oh, no, no. That's why you're there. That's why you're part of that group. That's why you're part of that relationship. That's why you're part of that neighborhood. That's why you're there. And this whole section with husbands and wives and parents and kids and employers and employees, it could be titled this if you're a sermon note taker, you write this down. This section could be titled, if your Christianity doesn't work at home, it doesn't work. I'll say it differently. If your Christianity doesn't work in real life, it doesn't work. Because you can come to church and look all cool and you can buy Jesus' real hoodie and you can bring your Bible and you can smile and you can know where the coffee's at and you can even show somebody where the bathroom's at and you can sit down and that's your Christianity. Then you go out Monday through Saturday and if your Christianity isn't jiving in those days, oh, something's off. This is actually a really challenging but also a really inspiring message to preach because as much as I love being here with you guys, I, I'm, I'm not with you guys a lot more than I'm with you guys, okay? Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And so there's a lot going on in my life. It's so in yours. And if we look at our lives and say, man, my Christianity, I come to church, I'm equipped for the work of the ministry, I take communion, I receive, I'm, I go out, and then I go out to the golf course, then I go out to Fred Myers, then I go out to Lincoln County School District, then I go out to the Rotary, then I go out to Georgie's where I work, then I go out to here and I do what I do in Jesus' name. Can you imagine if the entire church of Jesus Christ read their Bible, studied, worshiped, took communion, you know, got together in order to go out then and to be the church. See, one of the misnomers is, is that we are, we're doing church. Man, I went to church and I did, got my church done. <laughs> Y'all do church today? I did church twice. I'm a double dipper. <laughs> I got a hoodie too. I stole it, but don't tell anybody. You ever steal a hoodie from here? No, I'm just kidding. No, anyways. And there's all these things that are, they're the beginning. They're a good tool. And here's, here's, here's the problem is that we've all done this. We've all seen this. Have you ever seen a real religious person? They show up early, they stay late, it says to everything. They're real, they got the Bible, man, just, you know, 27 pound study Bible all marked up and they look like a Christian. They smell like a Christian. But then you, and they're religious. But then you see them in the real world and they're irreligious. You ever seen this before? And you're like, what? I thought you were, you were super religious on Sunday, but now you're irreligious. We call that hypocrisy. And it's actually offensive. It's more offensive to Jesus Christ than most other sins. The sins that caused Jesus to get really kind of fired up and riled up, okay, wasn't necessarily immorality and all these other things that will mess with you and need to be repented of and dealt with, but it was hypocrisy. And that kind of freaks me out a little bit because I'm way more liable to be a hypocrite than I am some other thing. And the Lord says, let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let's make sure that your Christianity is seen. He talks about marriage. He said your Christianity should be seen in your marriage. You should have an exemplary marriage. Okay? You should be growing in grace. You should be renewed in that knowledge every single day. Husbands and wives, your marriage should be amazing. It's supposed to be a reflection of heaven. It is. He says your children should be raised up in, in the things of God. You should be raising great kids. 
You should be a great dad, great kid. This is what he says. He gives us instructions here, and he says that it should be seen at work. You should be the best worker at work. There should be no question, no shadow, no doubt, no challenge that you're the best worker at your employer, the best place at your school, the best student, because you're a Christian. Now, let's just be honest and be real. You guys have 11 a.m. service, so I can, I can tell you guys are struggling. That's funny. It's funny. How many of you guys, though, you... you your marriage, don't raise your hand, but your marriage has struggled. Maybe it didn't even work. Maybe you raised kids and you did your best, but they're in jail now. Maybe you got fired. Maybe you got terminated. You're like, I'm a Christian, but yeah, I got, I got fired. Here's the deal. We all make mistakes. But the evidence of our Christianity is going to be seen in the way that we actually live our lives. Not just the verses we have memorized or the Christian tattoos we have on our bodies or the hoodies that we have and all the things that's actually going to be seen. And here's the good thing that I want to tell you also. Is it's not just going to be seen in your successes, good marriages, good kids, good work. It's also going to be seen, listen, in the way you process failures. Everybody fails. Everybody suffers. Some people think once you're a Christian you're never going to fail, never going to suffer. No, no. We fail and suffer differently. We fail and suffer with the grace of Jesus Christ. And though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets up. That's what the Bible says. And so we have a whole different trajectory, a whole different philosophy, a whole different resource center. And this is what God has called us to. And let me just ask this question. Christians have stereotypical fame, like we're famous for certain things. Uh, Let's just name a few negative ones. What are Christians famous for? Hypocrite, judgmental, anti-abortion, so they're opinionated. Christians, what are they famous for? Big beards, stuff like that, you know, hobbity, hobbity beards. We're, we're, we're famous for a lot of stuff that's like, yeah, oh, oh, you're a Christian. I mean, most people, let's just be honest, most people, I don't know how it is in other countries, actually I do, but most people will look at a Christian, oh, oh yeah, you're a Christian, whatever. I mean, that's just by and large. What if the stereotype was different? What if somebody found out, oh, you're a Christian? Okay, hey, hey, make a spot for him on the team. We're not even hiring right now, but this guy's a Christian. Yeah, you're fired. This guy's got your job. He's a Christian. You know, oh, thank you very much, you know. You're walking down the store, or, you know, trying to buy a house, real estate, trying to sell you a house in some neighborhood. Oh, this guy's a Christian. He's a Christian family. Oh, put him in here. Give him the best house. Give him the best place. Put them in charge because they're a Christian. Why? Because Christians should be known for our pursuit of excellence. Christians should be known for our care and our concern and our love and our compassion We should be known as the most serving, most generous, most benevolent, most trustworthy people on planet Earth. Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? That's what the Bible teaches. And yet you've seen this before in businesses. People put a fish on, like an ichthus, on their business, you know, say, I'm a Christian. And I've seen both sides of this go the wrong way. Someone's like, oh, that's a Christian company. Do not hire them. That's sad. I've also heard, let's be positive. I've also heard somebody say, yeah, that, that person, that industry, that group, that manager, that foreman, yeah, they took care of me. They went above and beyond the call of duty because they got some verses that tell them to do that. And they're a man of good rapport and they're a woman of integrity. And so he, he tells us to do all these things. He instructs, I'm just, again, I'm, just, I'm freaking out because I get stressed out sometimes about big theological questions like what does the Bible say about dinosaurs and, you know, and all these, you know, and what about the ark? Where's the ark? You know, and all these things. And then there's other just practical verses. Hey, don't be lazy, don't be shady, don't be a con, okay? Be faithful, keep your word, serve, give. Don't take advantage of people. Protect the innocent. Speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Okay, grow in these things. Oh, but I failed in these things. Cool, get over it, repent. 
God can use your story. Even if you've had some mistakes in your past, God can put that back together and your mess can become a message and your test that you've gone through can become your testimony. It's not just about reading your Bible and having good theology. You can actually tell people all you want that you're a Christian, but the old adage is true. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Until they actually see it in your life. Until they see it demonstrated. And this is fun, by the way. Because as much as I want to teach a good sermon today, and man, look, I think I hit all the points. I did a good job. Like, this sermon's going to be done in like 90 minutes. <laughs> There's no other service. I can keep going. Anyways, it's going to be done. And that's when my Christianity really begins. When I get in my car and I drive home. When I see my wife, when I see my kids, when I, when I, when I go about the week. That's when the fruit is actually being produced and that's when the pruning is actually happening in my life. Our lives are to be a living witness to a lost and hopeless world. And the way we're gonna do that is by being made new once through regeneration and by being renewed through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ to getting into his word. Now in this whole text, we've been in here for many, many weeks about, it's, it's, the whole idea is really authority that each one of us are in some sort of authority position over others, but we're also equally under authority under somebody else, primarily Jesus Christ. And this starts in the home with husbands and wives, and we all have our positions, and it starts in the home with parents and children, and it starts at employers in places of business and in society. Because if you don't understand the authority you're under, you will then fail in the authority that you're over. And you're gonna be domineering, and you're gonna be rebellious, and you're not gonna do it right. And until you understand this organizational chart that you're not the highest one on the chart, but Jesus Christ is, you're going to do things wrong. And so it's very important that we see this so we live our lives right. Now let's get into some new territory. And we're going to talk about the workplace. Before we get to talking about the workplace, Practical Matters 2022 or three, I can't remember. 2022, I'm way ahead of myself. 2022, okay, before we talk about practical matters, we're gonna go historical first century and we're gonna undo some things for our own understanding so we understand what's happening here. But let's look at what he says. He says this, he now goes from husbands and wives to children and parents and to parents and children. Verse 22, he says, bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. That means actually do it. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Why? Verse 24, <laughs> knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. That's a game changer right there. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no partiality. Next verse, masters. Now this is bosses, managers, etc. Give your bond servants, employees, and people who are under you what is just and fair knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, he's talking about the workplace. In our day, we're gonna call this bosses and staff, owners and workers, managers and employees. Okay, that's the terms we're gonna use. How many guys in your translation, though, you have something different than bond servants? Anybody have something different than bond servants? What you have there? Slaves. Okay, how many of us like that word? Everyone shake your head like, no, we don't like that word, Pastor Luke. Neither do I. That's why my mind says bond servants. Bond servants. This is what was going on, though, in the first century. And so here, pay attention. What I want to do in order to teach this in the best light possible, I'm first going to drag it into the worst light possible in what it says, slaves and masters. 
Because when you come to a Bible text like this where the Apostle Paul instructs slaves how to be good slaves and masters how to be good masters, some questions come up in your mind, don't you? I have questions. You know, you're like, what, does, this, does that mean the Bible condones slavery? Everyone shake your head no. No, it doesn't condone slavery. Okay, slavery, injustice, racism, abuse are some of the most evil atrocities that humankind has ever committed from the beginning through the middle and even to present day. Can I, can I get an amen from somebody, from other people? Amen. It is the most evil where a man or a woman looks down upon another man or another woman for race or for class or for sex, sex, whatever, everything that we are different than one another. And then that judgmental wickedness comes out of our heart and it's been perpetuated, listen, from the beginning all the way through the middle, all the way into present time. And so what the Bible does is the Bible then interjects and says, hey, let me speak to that because it's gonna happen. So therefore, I'm gonna give you some instruction on the things that you are bound to do because of your wickedness already. It's not that God condones slavery and says, oh, slavery is kind of cool. It's a good way to do it. I'll give you some verses so you don't blow it. Let me just make sure I give you my stamp of approval. Some people, haters, critics, and cynics will come to this portion of scripture or others like it and say, what? See, I told you. Boom! And kick the Bible and all that it says because they misunderstand what God's heart is in contrast to what humans' hearts are. So uh, let's take a little deep dive in the uh, deep end of the pool. I want you guys to understand a few things about this in the worst of the light so we can then put it in the best of the light. The question on the table is, is does God condone slavery? Uh, the simple answer is no, and the more complicated answer is it's complicated. It's complicated. And I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago as so I was putting this together, thinking about what are some other things that are pretty easy uh, to identify as evil but also become complex in the world we live in. And the one that came to my mind is war. You guys ever heard of war before? War's, war's not good. War's bad. Countries go against each other and they kill each other and the last one standing wins. The strongest one wins. And so countries in our day have said, okay, if we're going to go to war, let's make sure there's a few rules when we do it. And when I was a kid, I was like, wait, there's rules to war? I kind of thought it was like, I'm going to kill you, you better run kind of deal. Like, that's how war works. Like, no, no, there's rules. And the rules are, if you kill somebody in a war, that's okay. But if you capture them, you can't kill them. You got to hold them as prisoners, and then you got to release them at the end of the war. But if you kill them right before you capture them, that's okay. Now, how many of you guys have questions? You're like, I don't think that's good. Like, rules for war, it's like, no, if it's, it's a war, it's not. Like, what are we trying to do? We're trying to tame war, trying to make it okay. The reality is war's not okay, amen? Amen, it's not okay. Okay, it's, it's bloodshed, it's wrong, it's evil, it's, it's vile, and yet our world has war. Always has, always will, okay? That's just the world we live in, so we've made some rules. It's confusing, it's confusing. Now, wouldn't it be easier if God just said, I got a rule for you, no war, how many of you guys are into that? Any voters? Okay, no war. Me and three people, the rest of you guys, whatever. You guys, <laughs> anyways. He, he already made that rule. Did you know that? He said, here's the two greatest rules. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And you'll never have a problem. No more problems. No problems. No racism, no evil, no war. But nobody will do this rule, and nobody will do that rule. So now we have to have more rules. This is confusing, okay? This is the way it works. Now, here's two principles if you're gonna defend the scriptures or you're gonna find yourself 
understanding God and the complexity of humans. Here's two principles I want you to consider. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's good, okay, or acceptable. Just because it's written down historically, just because it's recorded doesn't mean, if you, have you ever read something in the Bible before? You're like, I can't believe that's in the Bible. You guys who are reading through Genesis and Exodus right now, you're like, this is rated R. My son's reading this. Oh no, you know? You haven't even got to Judges yet, man. Judges is straight gnarly. Like you're gonna need life insurance to read Judges. Like Judges is like, did this happen? At the end of Judges, by the way, the most clarifying verse is the very final verse in the book of Judges. It says, and at that time there was no judge in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You wanna know why the world's all jacked up? Okay, because we're making stuff up. And you and I and them and, and we, we, we don't know what we're doing. We jack things up from the very beginning. So just because it's in the Bible recorded, a lot of people read stuff like, man, I read this crazy verse in the Old Testament. That's why I hate the Bible. It's like, did you know that when that happened, it's because a man or a woman was there and God just recorded it? Don't hate God. God just recorded it. He didn't pull any punches. He didn't sugarcoat the kings and the heroes. It would make more sense if this book was a farce, by the way, that God would cover some of the gross sins of King David or Moses or Jacob or, or, or all of his sons. But instead, God's like, yeah, that was my main guy. He totally blew it. He totally blew it. I wrote it down for him too. I mean, even Peter. Peter royally blows at the New Testament and they could have been like, let's just leave that out. Let's just leave that out. Let's not put it in there. No, dude, it makes like every gospel. It makes the Acts book. It makes the epistles. Okay, so it's important you know that. Just because it's recorded doesn't mean that it's acceptable or that God condones it. Second one, okay, this one's even more confusing. Just because God gives instructions or directions in a matter doesn't mean it's God's will that that matter even be happening in the first place. That's what we're seeing here. Just because God gives instructions to what's happening on planet Earth doesn't mean that God's into that thing that's happening. This is confusing. Because it seems like God would just eradicate it then. Like, why are you telling us how to have slaves when we shouldn't even have slaves? Like, because you're gonna have slaves. I already told you not to have slaves. But you guys have slaves. So here's how you have slaves. And it depends on what side of the camp you're on. Like, oh, that sounds confusing and complicated. Let me use another illustration. Okay, God loves marriage. He's the first one to perform a marriage. It's in Genesis chapter two. He brings a man and woman together before sin. He says, this is good. This is really good. And then he gives instructions. He says, don't ever break this up. This is my heart. Okay, it's, in, it's before sin and all that. And then we see in the Old Testament, there are some provisions given for divorce. All the way into the New Testament, there are provisions given for divorce. Now, God has already told us what he believes about marriage and what he wants and intends for marriage. Okay, he doesn't want divorce to happen. And yet the Bible in the Old and New Testament give instructions for divorce. Is that confusing? It is. What's God's heart for marriage? He loves it. He loves it. And he even says, what God will put together, let no man tear asunder. And then in Mark chapter 10, they ask him, well, Jesus, what do we do when we get divorced? He's like, well, the reason you're getting a divorce is because you have a hard heart. And that's why Moses gave the ordinance. And so if you're gonna crash land your marriage, here's the rules. And the Bible gives us instructions for things that ought not to happen. What about capital punishment? Capital punishment when you have to kill somebody in a nation because they've committed a crime. You think God loves killing people? Just shake your head no, okay, in, case you're, in case you're confused. He doesn't like killing people, okay? People need to be held accountable, though. There needs to be law and order and justice, and God looks at humanity. He's like, oh, man, you guys are killing everybody? Okay, okay, well, this has just got weird. This just got weird. Let's give some ordinances. 
I was reading through the book of Exodus and all these rules about your enemy. If you see your enemy walking on the side of the road and his cow falls in the ditch and it's the Sabbath, like you gotta help that guy's cow out, but he's still your enemy. You can take him out on Monday, you know. All these like, like what? what all these verses? Because the heart of humanity is wicked. So the principles on the table are just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that God condones it. Okay, get over that. Somebody's gonna try and attack you down the road and say the Bible's messed up. So no, 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 humanity's messed up. Humanity's messed up. And just because God gives instruction in the scriptures on certain matters doesn't mean that he's into those matters. He just knows that without a little bit of instruction, it's gonna get even worse. And so God speaks to those situations unashamedly. Now let's get a little context here. Look at verse 22. It says, bond servants obey in all things your masters. That's slaves to masters. That's employees to employers. Let's just start with some numbers. In Rome, when Paul wrote this, there were 50 million citizens living in Rome, upwards of 30 percent of those 50 million were slaves or bond servants that's 15 million that's one-third of the population that lived in Rome were in slavery at that time that's a big number and when Paul wrote this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit I wonder if all those 15 million said you mean we get some verses you mean we get some instruction you mean we get acknowledgement and they would have been blessed that they were even noted and recognized because things were not going to their favor in life. Now, here's the deal. Uh, slavery back then wasn't primarily racially motivated, as is our experience in our uh, nation. Uh, it was instead uh, motivated by power. It doesn't matter who's under you. They could be the same color. They could be the same gender. If you had more power than them, you were going to put them under subservience to you because of your wicked heart. This would be wars. This would be people groups. This would be neighboring groups. Let me give you four just distinctions. This might not be important, but I'll do it anyways. There was lots of varying levels of slavery. And if God were to just come through the Apostle Paul and say, we're going to abolish slavery in the first century, it would actually disrupt and undo the economical system for the entire nation. And many of those 15 million slaves would actually be in a worse condition than they were previously. Is that confusing or complex? Just nod your head yes. Yeah, it super is. The first group would be what we call free will slaves. These are the ones who didn't have a lot of money. They looked around their environment. And they said, I want to become a bondservant to this master. I'm going to work for him for the rest of my life, and that's going to be my job. It's actually not a bad thing. In those days, they didn't have the Lincoln City outlets. They didn't have Walmart. They didn't have employment temp agencies. The Industrial Revolution hadn't happened. There was no work for people, and so you would have to have yourself uh, develop a relationship with a master and become their employee in this way. It's free will. It's a good deal. Second way would be you were born into slavery. You, maybe your parents did that. You were born into slavery. You had no choice, and hopefully you had a good master, and this was the life you lived. Paul gives instructions to both of those groups. There's also, it gets worse, those who are sold into slavery. This is outside of your control. This is evil, vindictive. It's, it's abuse. And then the worst would be those who are not just sold into slavery, but those who are taken by brute force into slavery. A nation would come against your nation. Everyone would be killed. You'd be left alive. This happened to Daniel. Daniel in Jerusalem, Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar came and killed most of the people in Jerusalem and took one-third of the young men back to Babylon as slaves. Daniel would never leave Babylon. He would serve in Babylon as a slave to Nebuchadnezzar, to Belteshazzar, to Darius, to Alexander. He would be over there in that region the entire time. And God actually sent Daniel as a slave a letter. It's called the book of Jeremiah. And he sent it to him and gave him instructions that, hey, while you're here in Babylon, take houses, take wives, live a good life, pray for your government and bear fruit while you're here. And by the way, you're never getting out. You're gonna die. Is that confusing? Go ahead and say, yeah, it's confusing. Here's, here's kind of the big idea also, by the way, folks, pay attention. This is a big one. We live, okay, after the fall, post-Genesis 3, nothing's right. We're waiting for redemption. We're waiting for a better world. 
as Christians, we're literally reading the book, preparing ourselves. I got my rapture pants on today. I'm ready to rock and roll. This, today's the day. I hope you got your rapture pants on too. I'm ready to go to heaven. This is not my eternal dwelling place. It's all messed up here. Now check this out. If you're not a Christian, <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. Say it, let me say it differently. If you're not a Christian, <laughs> I laughed again. If you're not a Christian, okay, this is the best it will ever get for you. If you are a Christian, this is the worst it will ever get. This is the worst it will ever be. This is the worst it will ever be for you. It's only going to get better when you go to heaven. If you're not a Christian, though, if you don't get this book, you don't understand the beginning, the middle, and the end, you don't understand it, man, you're in trouble right now. I'm just being honest with you. You're in trouble. You more than anybody else. You need a hero. You need a mandate. You need the vax to work. You need world peace. You need all these things to happen. But if you're a Christian, you've actually read the end of the book, and it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. You read the book before? Everyone's freaking out. Like, what's going to happen? Like, oh, man, I'll tell you what's going to happen. You better get your helmet on. It's going to get crazy. This helps me because I'm a Christian, because I know what the Bible says, to so not freak out when there's injustice. It actually softens my heart. And, and by the way, American, if you're an American, okay, this country is so blessed, more blessed than any other country in the world, Largely, if not solely, due to our foundation and our root system, which is biblical. Because this country is founded on God and his principles. And that's why this country is, is as good as it is. Even as messed up as it is, it's as good as it is. The rest of the world out there, there's so much more world than America. I don't know if you guys have ever traveled around or looked at a map before. There's a lot out there. They're all making stuff up. They're all making stuff up. And so when God gives us instructions, he says, hey, 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 hey. I see Rome, I see you, Paul, I see you, Daniel, I see you, South Beach Church, I see you, I see you, White House, I see you, 2022, I see you, coronavirus, I see all that, I see it. And God gives instructions in the complexity. He says, while you're there, you serve as under the Lord, as under the flesh is what he says, not I service, which means you actually do it. You serve, yeah, but it's unfair. And man, I looked at my taxes and the government, the government does silly things with my tax money and man, I'm gonna make a stand. What? Really? I get it. He says, you serve me in a complex, messed up, upside down world. And let's just make this real practical now. Because you guys are gonna go to work tomorrow. Maybe you're gonna go to work today, I don't know. Well, you guys are gonna go out in the world though, right? You can't stay here, I'll call the cops. Come back at six. It's fine then. <laughs> Wouldn't it be rad if we went out stereotypically motivated? Oh man, this is it. This is it. This is it. There is no secular and sacred. There's no place where it's more prominent to be a Christian. It's everywhere I go. It matters. And he says it right here in verse 22. Bond servants, that's everyone who works for somebody. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Literally means actually do it. He contrasts it by saying, not with eye service. Don't just look like you're working. As men pleasers, don't just make them happy on the outside. Listen, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. He goes on, verse 24. This is a game changer. Nope, verse 23. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Dude, this will change everything about the things you do privately and the things you do publicly. Don't do it for that person. Don't do it for your boss even. Do it out of sincerity of heart as unto the Lord. This will change the way you live. And this is, listen, this is God's intention to change the world you live in. It's through you. You are to be the 
the change, the solution that goes into the world and makes things different? Is your school toxic? Is your school difficult? Is it dark and bad? It's probably why God has you there. Is your neighborhood all jacked up and selfish and, and impoverished? That's probably why God has you there. Is your family, are you the black sheep? You're the Christian, nobody else like that. That's probably why God has you there. To let your salt be salty and let your light be lighty and to be the person that God wants you to be. He says, don't be lazy, don't be shady, don't be a con. Do it for the Lord. Guys, this is a motivator. This should compel you. If you need any motivation right now at all to be a single man or a single woman or to be married or to be a boss or to be an employee, you do it for the Lord. It, it really motivates me. It honestly does. Don't raise your hand, but how many guys are just like, you're just lazy enough where you actually like, you're not homeless. Like you're just lazy enough where you're not homeless. You know, just lazy enough where you're not like a complete slob. You're just a little better than whatever. You're just, just a little, you know, I'm not gonna get my best, you know. You can just cut the corners here and there and just a little shady. Wouldn't it be awesome if you said no? No more of that. As under the Lord. Look at what the next verse says in verse 24. I want you to get this. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Paul just goes nuts right here. And he gives, he's like, he just gave us all some eternal lenses. He's like, hey, put these on. Put these on real quick. Oh, your husband or wife? Yeah, I'm just getting kind of bored of my marriage, kind of bored. He's like, really? Okay, well, guess what? There's gonna be an eternal reward. Here, put this on. I don't really wanna raise my kids anymore. They're kind of wackadoos, you know, and all this stuff. And, you know, they're teenagers. They smell like elk now, you know. And... You ever had teenagers before? I got one in the back right there. Anyways, you know, I don't wanna do it anymore. And the Lord says, there is an eternal reward, bro. There's an eternal reward, sis. Verse 24, I have the word knowing circled. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Man, this could change everything for us, couldn't it? I'm going to heaven. Sometimes you just get saved. You're like, all right, I can't wait. I just, I'm going to heaven. I don't have to worry about anything else. The Lord says, well, that's awesome. What about, what about, what about everything else? Not my problem. Really? No, no, no. You're, you, you're part of the solution. You're part of the solution. You're the salt and the light. God has you here on purpose. And you've been through some defeating times. You've been in some faithful relationships where you've been faithful, you worked hard, you got fired, you got overlooked, you got judged because you're a Christian, okay? Get over it. Keep showing up early, staying late and saying yes to everything. Keep being the best you can be. Knowing that not God, God is gonna be faithful to you here, but there's an eternal inheritance. Okay, we're built on kind of a retirement system here in America, and most countries weren't before this. They didn't have retirement. You just lived with your family until you died. Everything was taken care of. Now we're kind of in this independent 64-inch TV, six-foot picket fence, all these things. Like, I gotta make sure I know what I'm doing at the end because no one's gonna take care of me. And we're really worried about our inheritance. We're worried about our investments. We're worried about our retirement. There's some, you know, wisdom there. You should make sure you know what you're doing. Okay, but you're gonna die and go to heaven. And that's when your inheritance really kicks in. That's when your retirement plan is real important. Right now, there's some finances, it's tax season. We look at their finances. Am I going to make it? Am I gonna, how much top ramen do I have to eat when I'm 70? You know, like, what's going to happen to me? You know, is it too late to adopt kids to take care of me? You know, <laughs> it's a good idea. I just want to be motivated in everything I do for the glory of God and the good of others. And you can use any excuse you want. It's a bad marriage, it's bad kids, it's a bad environment, it's a bad employer. 
it's a bad country, it's a bad time. And God's up in heaven saying, I, I am not part of your system. I'm not part of your problems. I've given you my mandates. These are eternal. These are good. You do what I said. Yeah, but did you see what they did? I don't care what they did. Yeah, but did you see? Yeah, I did. I, I, I give you a verse for that. Look at verse 25. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no partiality. Man, you don't got to worry about it. You got to worry about yourself. Yeah, but I got overlooked for the promotion. I've been here. I was the one. That person stole it from me. Hey, hey, let it go. You're going to be an eternal bazillionaire. For real. You take it to the Lord. Do not store your treasure here on earth. Do not worry about the things of this world, for they are passing away. But your life and everything you do in this world is very important. Oh, it's unjust, it's unfair. God's got it. And that's for you and for them, by the way. If you do, isn't it fun to read verse 25 and like think about bad guys? But he who does wrong would be repaid for what he's done. <laughs> And the Lord's like, uh, there's no partiality, bro. That's you too, believer. But I'm forgiven. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. There is a reaping principle that's still in play. You know that, what, right? What you sow, you shall reap. But I thought I was forgiven. You are, but you're going to get your hand slapped hard. There's a lot of forgiven people in jail right now. Let me just say, there's a lot of people. There's no partiality. 